Good morning, everyone. Uh, Last week, we uh, talked about taking a heart test, and part of that was a self-examination. I encourage you to examine your own heart just to make sure that you and I are not being carried away by the compromising influence of the false teachers that undoubtedly exist around us in our world today. Now, I know that some of you might have actually taken that to heart and done something during the week, but more likely than not, most of you probably haven't given it a second thought. (laughs) And that's okay, because I came prepared this morning. If you would, go ahead and take out this sheet of paper. And we're going to take some time to, to do this together. You won't be turning this in, so don't worry. This is for you to consider on your own. But I would ask, for that reason, for you to be sincere and thoughtful as you think through these questions. Um, And and I would ask you to at least consider using these questions as conversation starters within uh, a lunch appointment that you might have this week with with, uh, another brother or sister in Christ, maybe something you might do at small groups, um, just something that you might want to walk through. These are good things to consider. For now, let's just kind of ask and answer these questions. And and since I know that uh, some of you may find this difficult to read, the font may be too small. I'm going to kind of walk through, give you a little bit of time. And we're just going to do this together just for a time of reflection before we get started. The first question says this. Would you describe your life as spiritually dry or a spiritual fountain? Just think about that. And as we go through our time in the Word this morning, this will become increasingly relevant. But just think about that question for a moment. The next question says, have you complimented someone, perhaps recently, in order to get something from them? Maybe a favor or permission, using the situation to to get what you want. Do you live in sin, enslaved to sin, or... Are you free in Christ? How about this next one? Are are there bad habits that you find difficult to break? Are there things that you know you should be doing, but you're not? What might those be? And kind of related to that last question is the next one. Do you know of areas where God's word is clear, but yet you don't obey? And then the last question is a good one. Where do you turn when life gets hard? (laughs) 
let me clarify again why I think it's important to do things like we've just taken a little bit of time to do this morning. I hope you keep this with you. If you didn't have enough time or you need to spend a little more time thinking through these, please hold on to it. The reason is, is because as I mentioned last week, one of my concerns when we look at a passage like we're looking at now in 2 Peter is the tendency for all of us to separate ourselves from the focus of the letter. Paul is describing with, as we've seen already, some very graphic knowledge, the character and motivation hidden underneath the Christian camouflage of the false teacher. And for that reason, it's easy for us to look at that and say, well, it really doesn't have anything to do with me. This is about them, right? And, And so we separate ourselves from the passage. But let me remind you of something. Peter is not writing this letter to the false teachers. They're not the ones reading it. He is writing this letter by the inspiration of God to you and to me. His words are as applicable to the church today as they were to the early Christians who first received this letter. Mainly because we are both targets of the false teachers. We share that in common. But very often, like them, we don't know when it's happening. That's why Peter said, I'm writing to remind you about the things you should already know to be true. He understands how how easy it is to get distracted. And so he says, I'm stirring you up. I'm trying to, to move you from apathy to diligence so that you will always be on guard lest you be carried away by that compromising influence that surrounds you. Because here's the the consequence of being carried away. And this is important. Actually, let me tell you what is not happening here. What is not happening is an issue of losing your salvation. This passage that we will look at this morning is often used for that purpose, and that is simply not true. Not only is it an inaccurate interpretation of the verse, it contradicts the whole of Scripture that speaks clearly about the security of, of the believer. So this is not an issue of losing your salvation. But it is. Listen to me here. It is an issue of losing your identity. Because when we are carried away by the foolishness of the false teacher, what happens is we lose the understanding of who we are in Christ. The danger of their deception is the loss of our identity, who we are in Christ. We lose sight of what he has done for us, what he will continue to do in us, and what he promises to do through us when we are fixed on him. When our eyes are fixed on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. Because when he's our focus, it's... His transforming work in our lives that then produces things that give honor and glory to Him. What a great strategy of the enemy to carry us away to lesser things so that the greatness of our God is made to look small in the eyes of the world. So as we look at our passage this morning, having considered the questions from the heart test, let's not only consider how much there is to lose when people walk in darkness, but let's be reminded of
with how much there is to be gained when we walk in the redeeming light of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We're going to try to balance both of those this morning. We're not going to just look at one side. I'm going to pair them together. I'm going to ask you to make this personal. I'm going to ask you to walk through this and ask and answer these questions that I think are significant from examining our passage this morning. So if you would, if you're not already there, go ahead and turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Again, Peter's still speaking about the false teachers. Listen to what he says in verse 17. These, these false teachers, are springs without water and mists driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. Now, what Peter's describing here is actually something that we should relate to very well in West Texas these days. <laughs> Peter's saying that, he's, that these false teachers are promising things that are simply not fulfilled. Kind of like that big old rain cloud, right? That sits right over us, promising to end our drought, and then what happens? Nothing. Before it gets to the ground, it evaporates, and it just almost kind of teases us, doesn't it? That's the springs that have no water. Or perhaps worse than that, and we've seen this too, is when that big old thunderstorm rolls in, you see those big, puffy, dark clouds, and you think, all right, we're going to get drenched, right? So it rolls over on top of us, and then we get just a sprinkle here and a sprinkle there. HUD calls that a three-inch rain. One drop, three inches from the next drop, and then that's all we get. And that's what it is, that mist driven by the storm. It's like that carrot in front of the horse that promises something but never delivers. This is the same idea of what the false teachers are doing and what they teach. They promise a satisfying life, but it never delivers. And the darkness of their deceit, Peter goes on to say, doesn't even compare to the darkness of their destiny as they are separated for eternity from their deliverer. This empty promise is the same idea that Jeremiah had in mind when I believe he spoke to his people similarly as Peter does because they too were being carried away by false teachers. Listen to what he says in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. He says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. You see, what happened is they lost their identity of who they were as God's people. Instead of finding life in Him, they set out to find life on their own. Very likely following the influence of the false teachers, the the pagan societies that surrounded them. And did you notice that, that comparison between the springs of living water and the broken cisterns? See, a cistern is not a water source. It is a reservoir, kind of like a a cup. It it only holds what you put into it. And and what that scripture says is that there's a hole in the cup. And as soon as you put water in, it goes out just as fast as you pour it in, so much so that by the time you get it to your lips, there's nothing there. It promises something that it cannot deliver. It's a broken cistern. God, on the other hand, is the spring of living water. Unlike the cistern, a a healthy spring is a constant supply of water because the the water comes from within. It's not dependent on an external source. It is 
the source. That's why Jesus tells the woman at the well that if she drinks of the living water, if she finds her her life through faith in Him, what does He say? You will never thirst again. That's what He said, isn't it? Because Christ in you is a spring of living water. His indwelling Holy Spirit is the fountain of life. And it will never, ever run dry. The false teachers make promises that they cannot keep. They lead you to broken cisterns that cannot hold water, and they leave you thirsting for something more. But when you're in Christ, you have the fountain of life inside of you. So drink deeply from the fellowship of your Savior. Only He can satisfy the longing of your soul. A broken cistern or or living water. Who, Who you are apart from Christ, who you are in Christ. Don't lose your identity. Turn, if you will, to verse 18. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Those who speak lies often tell you what your flesh wants to hear to distract you from the truth that you need to hear. Arrogant words are words that are are spoken with conviction. They're they're believable. And I want you to, to notice that who they're targeting. It said, Peter describes them as those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. Like any dangerous predator, those who deceive are looking for the young and the weak. Those who are new in their faith or or growing in that knowledge of what it means to walk with Christ. And since they haven't lived outside of the old neighborhood for very long, it's so much easier for them to fall back into those Same old patterns that they once lived in. Especially when the call to fulfill the fleshly desire is made by those who claim to be Christians. They promise freedom from the consequence of sin because of God's gracious forgiveness of sin. They try to convince you that He took the judgment, giving you the freedom to to enjoy life, to to pursue pleasure, to, to have more fun. Just be yourself. But in their quest for self-expression, they fall into bondage to selfish desires. You see, they don't control the fleshly desires. No one can. Those desires control you. Now let me make a little side note here that, that struck me as I was considering this passage I think it's really important for us to recognize the vulnerability of those who are new or growing in their faith. And Peter makes it very clear that they are the primary targets of deceptive doctrine. Since that's the case, let me take this opportunity to remind you not to neglect those who are weak in their faith as you personally seek to grow stronger in your own. The image that I have in my mind is a scene at the gym where you see these big old bodybuilders, you know, kind of 
flexing in front of the mirror, looking how big their muscles are. You've seen it. You might be one of them. I don't know. While someone else who's in a wheelchair struggles to pick up a little dumbbell on the floor just out of their reach. I think this makes a strong case for mentoring. It's what the, the men's and women's ministries, apples of gold, that's, that's the heartbeat behind what they've desired for this church family for, for years and years. The strong helping the weak, right? The, the older mentoring and encouraging the younger. But more often than not, the problem is not finding those who want or need to be mentored. The challenge is finding those who are willing to consistently invest their time into the life of someone else. And and that someone else, by the way, could be your own children. That's an investment of time as well. So let me extend a challenge to those of you, which includes most everybody in this room, who've been walking with the Lord for a while now. Maybe you need to take some time The time that you're spending building your own spiritual muscles invested into the life of someone who's struggling how to put things together. As I've thought through this, I I personally believe that this may be one of the reasons that we see some of the weaknesses that we do in our Christian culture today. Too many people trying to gain more knowledge to the point that we've forsaken the calling to share that knowledge through a shepherding relationship with someone Still growing in the faith. Scripture makes it very clear they are the targets. The question for us what are we doing to protect them? Because left to themselves, Peter says, they are easily carried away by the empty promises of the freedom found in fulfilling fleshly desires. Promises which are made by those who they themselves are slaves of corruption. It reminds me of a familiar passage that we've actually looked at together before when Paul writes to the Romans, excuse me, to the Romans. He says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. He finishes out by saying, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. So the question here, and the one that we should ask and answer for ourselves, is not whether or not we are a slave. Paul makes it very clear, we're all slaves. The question is, who's your master? Who's your master? When sin is your master, you have no power except to do what it tells you to do. You become a slave of corruption. And when something is on a path of corruption, feeding on its own appetite, it is eventually destroyed. But when you're in Christ, when you're in Christ, you have been set free from sin. And you've become a slave to righteousness. You willingly transfer your allegiance from obeying sin to obeying Christ. In Christ, the scripture tells us, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Although your outer man is decaying, it tells us that your inner man, who you are in Christ, is being renewed day by day. That's because, as the scripture also tells us, he who began a good work in you is faithful to finish what he started. 
And he can do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. Why? Because of his power that is at work in you. So boast in the Lord, knowing that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Do you see the difference? Slave of corruption, slave of righteousness. Who you are apart from Christ, who you are in Christ. The question is, who's your master? Don't lose your identity. Turn now to verse 20. It says, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. It has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. The key to understanding these verses is to understand who the they is. Who is the they referring to? It says, they escape the defilements of the... Excuse me, they escaped the defilements by the knowledge of Christ. But they once again became entangled and overcome by these defilements because they, like a dog, have returned to their vomit. If we take a step back and we, we look at this, the, the chapter that we've looked at as a whole, and really Peter's letter as a whole, it's undeniable that he is focusing his attention on the false teachers, isn't he? He has used some very graphic language. And really the only time in this last chapter that he shifted from that focus is what we just looked at in verse 18 when he describes those who are the targets of these false teachers. Those who have barely escaped from the ones who live in error, those being the false teachers. As we said, these are the weak and the the young, new and and, and growing Christians or, or those struggling. But once Peter tells us who these false teachers are, He then moves right back into the description of their lies. He explains that they entice the weak and the young by promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. These false teachers are the ones who have been exposed to the truth but yet continue their allegiance to sin. They may claim to be Christians. They may be active or involved in the Church, but as John writes in his first letter, he talks about these same people. He says, they went out from us because they never belonged to us in the first place. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. In other words, they would have stayed true to the faith. But their defection reveals their true nature. They left because they never did belong. Peter makes an interesting observation in this passage when he says something about these imposters specifically. He said in verse 20, The last state has become worse than the first, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it to then turn away from the holy commandment given to them. What Peter is saying here is really important. He recognizes that ignorance is not a good thing. But then he makes the point that to know something as true 
and then to turn away and reject that truth, that's even worse. It sounds harsh when we read it, but in reality, it's something that we are all very familiar with, especially as a parent. When our children make a bad choice out of ignorance, we're going to correct them. Because why? We, we want them to make a better choice the next time when faced with that same decision. Where we get concerned is when they continue to make the bad choice no longer out of ignorance, but now out of willing disobedience. Knowing what is wrong and yet still choosing to do what is wrong. And the more they make that choice, the more callous their hearts become. We would all agree that that last state is much worse than the first. That's the point that, that Peter is making about these false teachers. They know the truth. They've even taken steps towards the truth because they've involved themselves in the Christian community. And yet these false teachers have never surrendered their lives to that truth. We know that because of how they live their life. The image I have here is someone who's imprisoned in a jail cell. Sin is holding them captive. And so someone comes up and shares with them the saving message of Jesus Christ. And in that sense, although they are imprisoned, they have been handed the keys for their release. Here they are, locked inside of a prison, holding the keys for their release, but refusing to use them and and remaining enslaved to sin. And the more they refuse, the more hardened and bitter they become. The more that prison cell feels like home. To the point that they eventually forsake their freedom altogether and decide instead to live in that prison of sin. Their practice will eventually betray their true nature. Like a dog returning to its vomit. Or a pig returning to wallow in the mud. Some strong words. We have a lap dog in our house named Lexi. Cute little white fluffy thing. Just the cutest thing you've ever seen in your life. Don't ask me how we got a dog that's white and fluffy, but that's another story. But that little dog is the sweetest thing with the most disgusting habit I've ever seen in my life. Right? We have to be real careful when we let that dog out sometimes because sometimes she'll take care of her business and then go back and eat her business. I know, it's disgusting. (laughs) It makes me nauseous when I see her doing it, eating her own feces. How disgusting. It's disgusting, isn't it? But no more disgusting than exchanging the truth for a lie. Choosing to follow the appetite of sin instead of feasting in the fellowship being offered by our Savior. That is what should make us nauseous. So much so that our life, which is hidden in Christ, should look dramatically different. Let me give you at least one picture of what that might look like. Turn, if you will, to Colossians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 3. Listen very carefully as I believe Paul describes for us a picture of what it means 
to live a life in Christ. He says, if then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Basically, Paul says there was a time when you used to eat poop. He says there was a time that you too walked in them. He made a similar statement to the Galatians when he writes to them and by extension to us. And he he says to them that there was a time when you were separated from Christ. You lived apart, were excluded from his family. You were strangers to the promises without hope and without God in the world. He then goes on to say, but now in Christ... You who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. As a Christian, your life is no longer hidden from Christ. Your life is hidden in Christ. This is not just a place of safety. This is the source of your life. You have walked out of the prison cell of sin. And you have been given the power to live in holy righteousness turning from the unsatisfying deceit of the old neighborhood and choosing instead to live in the riches of His glorious grace. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. That is who you are in Christ. Don't lose your identity. I think part of the the benefit of such a detailed description of the false teachers is the picture it gives us of the flesh with which we still do battle. Having been set free from the prison of sin does not mean that we're no longer tempted by those desires. That's why I've given you those bags. Go ahead and take them out if you will. White bags in your pew, they're in front of you. I want every one of these to go home because next week if people show up who are visiting and they're wondering why there are barf bags in front of their pew, <laughs> I don't want them to think that the sermon they're going to hear is going to make them sick, okay? So go ahead and take those out. The reason I have given you these bags is because I want them to be a visual reminder of the decision that we're making when we seek comfort in things other than Christ. Returning to the vomit instead of finding forgiveness at the throne of grace. Let me give you some examples. When you're angry or discouraged, do you turn to Christ or do you pour yourself another drink? Do you find peace in staying busy with activities, always going from one thing to another or Is being still in His presence more satisfying? Is it more enjoyable to talk about following your favorite sports team or what it means to be a follower of Christ? Do you seek solace by occupying your time with texting 
or shopping or spending time vegging out in the front of the TV or just surfing the Internet? Or are you more inclined to find peace through just some time in prayer? Are you refreshed by being in His Word? Is your life, does it reflect times where you just break out in praise and worship, thanking God for the things that surround you? Are you energized by the fellowship of the believer? I think it may be helpful every once in a while to take that little heart test that I gave you this morning and pull it out and re-examine yourself. See where you're at. Because when your life is hidden in Christ, He is where you should be going to find satisfaction and peace. When you're being carried away, it's like a dog returning to his vomit. Please listen to what I'm telling you here. Don't be carried away so that you lose the identity of who you are in Christ. Leave your broken cisterns and satisfy your life with the never-ending supply of living water given to you in the presence of the Holy Spirit that indwells you. Rejoice in the freedom that you have to live in obedience to the Spirit as you walk in the good works that He's prepared beforehand. That's who you are in Christ. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you have died to the old things and your new life is hidden in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father, Paul writes to the Ephesians, or James, who gives us every spiritual blessing that heaven has to offer. Because that's who you are in Christ. Considering how much there is to lose when people live in darkness should always remind us how much there is to gain when we walk in His redeeming light the transformation in your heart should be what tells that story that is lived out in your life to the praise and glory of god let's pray together father i I think it's so easy to read a description about someone else to the point that we exclude ourselves and miss the very significantly important message of what we have in you. I pray this morning that in some miraculous way that our eyes were opened and our ears were opened to see and to hear the truth of your word as it describes the false teachers and what they are missing, but may it be a reminder to us of what we gain because of who we are in you. Protect us, Father. Help us protect each other, Father from the deceit of the lies that carry us away so that we lose our identity. We forget who we are in Christ. It it diminishes the, the work of your transformation in our heart. And in the world's eyes, our God gets very small. Instead, Father, may we be a people who live under your authority. You as our master, transforming us so that everything about us, everything about our family, Everything about our speech and our life and the way our conduct ourselves gives glory to you, our great God and Father, through whom we have salvation and life eternal. May we live what you have paid for, walking in a manner worthy of our calling. 
to the praise and glory of your grace that has saved us. We pray this in your most precious name. Amen.